As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. After a gap of two years of meeting up in person, academic archers and Dumpty Dum are back in the same room, 21st to 23rd of April at Birmingham Symphony Hall, to talk, laugh and craft all things Ambridge. The mega mashup meetup has a packed schedule with some very special guests, special recordings of the One Stiletto in the Grave and Dumpty Dum podcasts with Sonny Ormond, no less and the usual mix of the profound, the poignant and the hilarious Academic Archers presentations. If you've not been to an Academic Archers gathering before, we're just the other side of Penny Hassett, and you'll also find us on Facebook at academicarchers.net and check out our past presentations on the weird and wonderful from Ambridge on YouTube and Buzzsprout. Careful with the volume there as there's a lot of laughter. Saturday hosts a packed day of Archers talks. Topics range from what the Ambridge cookbooks over the years can tell us of how and what we eat, to a panel on male mental health with special guest speakers featuring two from the Dumpty Dum Parish, R. Witherspoon and R. Claire from Clapham, to the definitive guide on how you can get your own church window, and then interviews with the fauna and flora of the Shire. And yes, you heard that right. We've asked the trees of the rewilding what they think of Kirsty and Rex. And... We're joined by one of the Archers team's Foley artists for a live sound effects demo. After a grand night out on the Saturday evening, a three-course dinner and dance, we gather again for the Sunday Omnibus live listen and tweet along and a recording of that week's Dumpty Dum podcast, joined by Sunny and with some good old-fashioned audience participation. There really is something for everyone when we get together and this weekend is for anyone that loves the Archers who wants to know more about the storylines and quite simply wants to talk about Ambridge and its residents all day. Links to tickets are all over the Academic Archers and Dumpty Dum Facebook pages. See you in Brum. I've decided to do a new podcast. This one will be called Brown People, a podcast where I speak to politicians, pundits, mothers and thinkers about discovering the stories of people of colour. 
I'll be your host as we dive into the lives of thoughtful individuals who have maybe caused controversy, but have definitely lived a life worth talking about. We'll be talking about the struggles, the triumphs, and everything in between as we hear the experiences of people from all over the globe. We'll be getting to the root of what drives them, how they see the world, and how the world sees them, and how they've overcome the obstacles that life has thrown in their way. This is a podcast that will be an exploration and a conversation. So join us as we shine a light on the stories, struggles, and we look at the lives of people of colour. Please subscribe to it today, whether you're a brown person or not. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This week's Dumpty Dum is from Paul Newman and the podcast is sponsored by Glyn Fuller Love. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. Today I'm being given my wings and I'm hosting without a Dumpty Dum technical expert, but I have got an expert with me. I'm very lucky to be joined by Quentin Rayner, the famous Q, because poor Dr Cara Courage from the Academic Archers is rather poorly today. Welcome, Quentin. Thank you for this very last-minute adventure into the Dumpty Dum Studios. You put the plea out, didn't you, this afternoon, saying that yeah. you needed a co-host. And there I was, mowing. And when the Dumpty Dum call to arms comes, you... we're a bit like lifeboat people, aren't we? We drop everything to save Dumpty Dum. Yeah, here I am. Wonderful. So here I am. I hope it doesn't rain and you can't can finish your lawn later. <laughs> I just finished it. I have. Ah, well done. Green, green, I'm green-fingered from Green-fingered. Well done, you. But we wish Cara a speedy recovery, definitely. Yes, and also Pippa's coughing head off as well, so let's yep. hope they both get better before Birmingham. So yep. Cara and I were going to talk about Birmingham uh, next week, and I assume you're going to be there. Q? I am. Yes, I booked early. I know keynotes like yourself are going to be there from Friday onwards, I think. But I'm going to be yeah. there from Saturday morning getting an early train from Nottinghamshire across so I should be there sort of about 10 half past 10 and uh, arrive then I, I, you'll arrive at 10 that's when my train you've gets you've missed the best you've missed yeah, the best uh, part of the day oh no, there's some talker on early isn't there I forget what's her name yeah. it's the first talker yeah. today begins with Jade isn't it <laughs> yeah it does there's a bit of a French right. accent that one yes that's the one, that's the one. How are you planning? I, How's your plan? How's it going, your planning for that? I've written it out, I've timed it out, I've waffled a lot and cut a lot of waffle out, which is just yeah. the way I have to do, according to Royfield Brown. 
and I'll see. Let's see. I'm the most unacademic archers person you'll ever imagine meeting. So we'll see how it goes. Nerve-wracking. It'll. It's. It is nerve-wracking. <laughs> You're raising the curtain, so Jacqueline, you are number one. I am raising the curtain and I'm setting the bar very low. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's, it, what's your talk on? It's about the importance of crafting. Yes, because there's plenty, you're bringing pre- plenty of craft to the meeting. I am. I'm a L- very lots craft- of other person. other stitches as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there we go. So jolly good. Now, should I mention about the ticket? Exactly. Shall I? Yeah, okay. good for you. We hope to see as many of you there as possible. Tickets for this fantastic weekend are still available, and the link is in the show notes. Now, we've talked about crafting, we've talked about things being made, and there's a nice little raffle building up. We've got six prizes. We're going to be offering the tickets for sale on the day. We're asking for about £5, but give what you can per ticket, and it will be raffled off at the end of the day. The proceeds of the raffle will go to a charity, which hasn't yet to be defined, but will be before next Saturday, obviously. Uh, now, also, we've got several people who are travelling up, myself included, and Kate Penfold, who's travelling from Hampshire on Friday afternoon, leaving about 2pm. I could pick anyone up in Winchester or Basingstoke if they, if needs be, and I'm also leaving Poole at 9.30 on Friday morning, travelling by Oxford. So if anyone wants to lift in the morning, but I have to be in Brum by 2 let me know. Come through the Facebook page or private direct mail on Twitter and I'll connect you with Kate and or organise it with myself. You've got to have quite a journey to get there, Jackson, haven't you? Quite a journey. Yeah. <laughs> Night in pool. <laughs> you better hire a minibus, I think. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's get to the meat and bones of the podcast that is Dumpty Dum, which is the select group of calleries who've called in this week. And we hear from Andrea in beautiful central Brittany, not once but twice. Witherspoon, who's not best pleased with Tom and a few others. Rob, who defends George and then he doesn't. Claire from Clapham, who's not in Clapham. And David Thomas. Who finds Oliver a fool. Oh, he does. You're right. Yes. And now we also have our new and regular feature from Stephen, who can be relied upon to explain the ins and outs of some of our favourite Cambridge institutions. And this week we have part three of The Bull. Plus, we have Tweet of the Week from Purple Pumpkin, our Theo, and we have the social media roundup from our Sandra. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Sui, Queen or Tart. Hello lovely people, it's Siri Green or Tart here on the Twitters and another week in Ambridge. The themes I identified this week have been betrayal, comeuppance, pantomime villainy and righteous indignation. But I'll leave it to you to decide which applies to which bit of the story. Bridge Farm residents featured heavily, oh so very heavily. Pat and Tony were told about Rob, the first of our pantomime villains and his return by Lee. Helen was understandably miffed that Lee took away control. Ah, oh, just you wait and see what's happening later in the week, love. Natasha volunteered to go with Helen to meet Jess, Rob's ex-wife. It's very clear that Natasha doesn't know what not saying a word means, as she proceeded to talk at length to both Jess and Helen. Jess advised she was not in contact with Rob, but knew that Ursula, Rob's mother, has died. Ah, oh, what a shame. Rob's back in the country to attend the funeral. 
How does Jess know? How do we know that Jess isn't actually talking to Rob? We don't. Now we know why Pat was shooting the birds the other day. She's clearly good enough with a gun and is very prepared to shoot Rob to save Helen and the boys. Sounds like a potential court case coming up. Tom Sausage Boy, in the meantime, was a pouty, whiny brat wanting everything to be about him and got very miffed about them seeing Jess worrying about whether it was a set-up. Apparently, he's the last to know and he's stropped off. Mia is going to the mattresses against Jimus over the charging station. She is very much in favour. He just wants it somewhere else. Oh, dearie me, she's going to work with second pantomime villain Justin. Ooh, hiss. He didn't show up for his shift on Bank Holiday Monday because he was too preoccupied by his wings application. This required a form completed by Jimus, which he eventually did in his own time and, more importantly, in his own words. So much for Justin's angel status. The only downside to all of this is that Martin Gibson won. Justin relied from the shop, so we all got to one there, I feel. Oliver spent the week being understandably cross and upset after George and Brad's break-in. Turns out they smashed Caroline's bench. George manipulated Oliver in allowing him to fix the bench for a fee, no less. I imagine the shop will be sold out of gaffer tape pretty quickly once he gets started. George bullied Brad into saying nothing to the police, then fessed up, spilling the beans and dropping Brad directly in it. Under caution, Brad made a right dog's breakfast, lied and was in very hot water over it. Oliver decided, thankfully, not to press charges after a plea from Tracy that Brad's not really a bad lad. Oliver eventually received an apology from Brad, but not in good grace. He'd been waiting all week. I wonder whether their relationship can ever be repaired. They did shake hands at least. Unsurprisingly, George just wants his cash from Oliver and refused any help with the bench. Brad finally saw the truth about George. Turns out he's not even gaffer taping, but has got yellow tape instead, and then lied like a rug about whether Brad was going to help. He is just a villain. There's no pantomime about it, and I really hope Oliver will see through it. Alice still didn't know what to think about her mum's addition to the will. Chris talked to everyone apart from Alice about it and tried to work out how to divide the money with the other grandchildren, which is clearly not an option and definitely not in Martha's interest, unless it'll stop her being beaten up in the playground by Xander for her lunch money in the fullness of time. Adam, Ian and Chris had a shouting match, then kissed and made up before deciding that Alice should take up bell ringing. It's boggling stuff. Well, that's enough. Until next week then, my lovelies. Hope it's a good one. Was it a good one for you, Mr. Rayner? I listen to it. I listen to it every night and my wife despairs. And then I listen to it again on a Sunday and my wife doubly despairs. And when I listened to it during the week, I got increasingly annoyed by it. But having listened to it collectively um, earlier this, today, I thought actually it came together very well as a week. Yeah. And I thought there were some interesting themes laid down, which are obviously going to fester for quite a while. Yeah. I got annoyed because there was a lot of Tom in my blood. Yeah, it's very annoying. Yeah. Yeah. He goes from naught to 100 in about a millisecond, doesn't he? He just has no yeah. sort of calm approach at all. 
So he really annoyed me. There was a bit of Adam, which was obviously far too much Adam, but I need a bit of Adam to make me annoyed. <laughs> Not enough of Brian, obviously. But what the one that really annoyed me, perplexed me, was Oliver. A big fan of Oliver. Always yeah. have been. And I think some of the calls are going to talk about this. But I really wondered about his judgment because I've always yeah. valued his judgment. He sees he's the best in people. And he does. He didn't suss or made out... He was hoodwinked, we were led to believe, entirely by George. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to which, charge which him for materials. Badly. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Then he wants to charge him for materials for fixing the bench that he Terrible. finally admitted to doing. And Brad is palpably a lovely lad. He's yeah. obviously misled by this dreadful George, and Oliver didn't, just didn't seem to see it. So I was particularly perplexed and irritated by that because I'm a big fan of Oliver. Yes, I agree. I'm a fan of Oliver. But in fact, I went off him a bit with his reaction to... Do you remember when Jazza and Tracy decided yeah. to have a bit of hanky-panky? He was very off with Tracy then. And uh, he yeah, he has this kind of upper hand kind of way of mm -hmm. dealing with things. I like it when he gets like that. And I tweeted about it this, yeah. this morning, I think. So I like it. Because he is hail fellow met all the time, isn't he? He's, yeah, he is. He's cheerful, he's optimistic, and he's generous. And he, that, I know, gets on some people's wick. It cheers me up. But I like it when he there's a little bit of edge in his voice. He's a steel. And you think mm. he's not going to be completely fobbed off by people and not going to be exploited. And it's quite chilling because it's so rare. So when he was taking them off the hanky-panky in Grey Gables and then ticking off Brad and, again, Tracy, I... I enjoyed it because I, it gives him another dimension. It makes you realise right. he's a man of the world a bit. Well, that's interesting, yeah. isn't it? So, shall we have a bit of Linda Snell and listen to the first few calls? Mm -hmm. Let's do that. The first one comes from beautiful central Brittany. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
hello, Ambridge3962. Hi, Voshield and Jacqueline, welcome back. And hello, Dumpty Dummers, wherever you are. It's Andrea from beautiful Brittany. Now, you might have heard my opinions on Helen and Natasha before, and they haven't changed, but I wanted to say how much I enjoyed their interaction on Monday. It started with Helen being a usual petulant, stroppy self. Natasha was the usual direct and to-the-point self. However, I've noticed that with Tom, for instance, Natasha's direct and to-the-point, but she's got a wheedling quality, almost as though she's hypnotising him with a wonderful Welsh accent so that he does what she says. And with other people, like Pat and Tony, the tone often seems to say, do I really have to talk to you? And I can just picture her not moving a jaw too much when she speaks. But in the scenes with Helen this week, her tone was quite different. It's still no nonsense, but did I detect a hint of compassion? Helen responded by dropping her stroppy defences and talking calmly in a tone that we don't often hear. And she spoke with thought. It was very well acted by both of them, I thought, and I enjoyed it immensely. I'm calling in before the meeting with Jess on Thursday, just in case Helen and Natasha do something to annoy me and I forget how impressive they can actually be. Have a good week, everyone. Yes. And Natasha, she's an interesting character. I love the way Andrea calls and she's often about the sounds. A few weeks ago, it was all about the the Foley artist and the lamb sounds, etc. Yeah. Uh, so noticing all these tones of voice. What about you? How do you feel about Natasha? Just picking up on the sounds, it's always worthwhile once in a while to listen to the archers with headphones on because you do pick up those sounds in the background. Yeah, much more. And you hear the tonal changes in the actors' voices. Yeah. And I suspect Andrea has either got excellent hearing or she listens on headphones to pick all this up. Natasha, I cannot... Oh, Tan Oak. I cannot make my mind up about it. I'm fundamentally dislike her, I'm afraid. I think she's a manipulative, money-grabbing, hard-as-nails person deep down with flashes of kindness and generosity and sensitivity yeah. and empathy. But she, we were led to believe she was heavily in debt with her credit cards and that's all just disappeared and she came back from yeah. Wales a changed woman she was nicey nicey and very approachable and amenable and I thought where's no cash gone where's all this gone yeah and then you see little flashes of it or big flashes of the money grabbing for the photo shoot for the dreadful Sarah yeah. Nova and you think well, that's still there isn't it and she does yeah. Andrea's right she has different we all do I suppose it's very obvious with Natasha she has obvious gear changes for different people yeah. And I think she's pretty patronising too. And she winds Pat and Tony around her little finger. God knows how she, she does. So with Tom. God. Exactly. I think she's a saint because she has to live with Tom. She has. She had babies with him. Can you imagine? How awful. Now, I promised which, I'd be which, positive which <laughs> to myself. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Hey, she is. Oh. But I did. I found the scenes with her and Helen and Jess this week. I laughed out loud when she said, I'll sit here quiet as the mouse. And I thought, yeah, that lasts about two and a half seconds. <laughs> I'm not here. You won't know I'm here. Pretend I'm not here. But yes, she's, definitely. She's really at Jess saying, are you still in touch with him then? And she's really quite aggressive. And I think that's yeah, sure. real Natasha. Yeah. Not that he knows. She was, no, but she was defending Helen, I suppose. She's looking from Helen's point of view. So we've got to, let's give her a bit of leeway. She was lovely with, <laughs> she's very supportive. She went out with Kirsty, didn't she, looking for Blake that time. She did, yeah, exactly. And now she wants to support Helen. That's the other point. I'm surprised Helen 
isn't leaning on Kirsty as her safety net. There was Kirsty yeah. during her prison time. Yeah, she was exactly. the one who saved her, really. So yeah, I think Kirsty being missing is quite a thing. Yeah, I think it's a that very. Uh, yeah, that jars with me as well. It's one of those things. A bit like all the th- with the time that Emma. The actress that plays Emma Scarlett, she was off, wasn't she, on maternity leave, and she was missing through some major stories that she would yeah. have been on top yeah. of. And I don't know; it's because I think because we concentrate so much on it, it's we're a long-term listeners, and Suffering. we you know should be listeners, my darling, listeners. Suffering, listeners. <laughs> you might be suffering. I love it. <laughs> Not all of it. Listen, we've got a load of calls here to listen to. So if we go on to that, we're going to play two because Rob <laughs> sent in a call and then he sent in another call. So I'm going to play them two, the two of them back to back. Hello there, Roy Shield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers around the world. I never thought I'd find myself in the pro-George camp because, let's face it, he has been written as an odious little shit. A quick look round the Facebook group seems to have shown an unanimous outpouring of vitriol, added Georgie Spade. <laughs> Following Harrison Holmes cracking the case, we were left with the impression that George had railroaded Brad into taking the biggest hit. But is that what really happened? What would George gain from Brad ending up in that situation? If anything, Brad could turn against him and throw him under the bus, saying that it all started when they were thrown out of the taxi because of George skinning up and that he was threatening to keep to the story that he came up with at first. Is there not a possibility that George may have had his conscience bricked by his fairy godfather, Oliver, telling him just how much that bench they damaged meant to him? Could this be George taking his first steps on his own personal road to Damascus? I know every soap needs a bad guy somewhere in the mix, but personally speaking... I'd be quite amused if George started blowing the whistle on some of Grandpa Eddie's dodgier schemes. I'll see you all next week, hopefully. Take care. And this is a few hours and a half a bottle of wine later. Hi there, Jacqueline and Cara, both of whom I'm looking forward to meeting next week. Oh, dear Lord, I'm now already wrung insane how I thought that George might be on his own personal roots Damascus and all this business <laughs> but I haven't listened to the rest of the week ah, no he is just a tiresome horrible little shit sorry I can't put it any more explicitly than that but <laughs> hey ho loads of other people next week can't wait hope we manage to fix something up for the Friday night before the day big day begins now I'm just rambling Take care, Rob. Love you, bloods. Bye. Oh, brilliant, Rob. No, it's lovely. Um, I agree with him, though. I think I'm glad he turned because when I first heard that call, maybe on Thursday, I thought, "Oh no, what are you on about, Rob?" And yeah, uh, yeah, and he saw the light by the end of the week, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I was troubled when I first heard his first call, Jacqueline. Very troubled. I yeah, thought. Me too. I thought. <laughs> What mind-altering drugs is our Rob on, on Merseyside there? And I'm in, I'm in the pro-George group. Rob, have a look at yourself, man. And he did. Thankfully, he did speak to himself and slaps himself around the face and has concluded, as he concluded in his first assessment, that George is an odious little shit. And I think that is one thing we can all agree on, I don't think. I think so, yeah. I don't think there'll be many dissenters on that no. one, Q. 
No, I don't. I did slightly defend him on last week's podcast because I thought there were a couple of moments last week when he is not without ability, George. God, he can think quickly on his feet, can't he? And He can, and he can wheedle around his grannies. Weedle, lots of wheedling. So he plays people really well in a nasty way. Yeah. I suppose you could call that a life skill. But I did say last week the way he played the foil to Susan when she was trying to test out some questions to be she was going to be asked or anticipated through the window. I thought he did that well and held his own, yeah. didn't he? That he did. Fair when he had when yeah. his QR code didn't work. Yeah. So those are the only two redeeming moments ever since he's appeared. But the rest, yeah, yeah, Rob. Now that he is sobered up, you're absolutely spot on there, Rob. He is. <laughs> An odious little shit. What's that in French? Probably sounds even better. I don't know what odious is, Matt. Okay. Like, odieux, odieux, probably. And chier is a shit. Odieux, <laughs> Yeah. Please cut that bit out, Roy Field, when you edit this. So, um, <laughs> we go back to our little script here at this point. Oh, do we? we do it? Yes. I'll let you find that because you've got a bit coming up. The best and easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to speakpipe.com forward slash dumpty dum. Don't forget the T in the middle and you'll also find a link in the show notes. Or of course you can send us a voice note via WhatsApp on plus 44-7957-167-696. Now normally we need your calls in by 6pm on a Sunday UK time but next week is different, obviously, because we are recording live so from Birmingham. So please, can we have your calls in by Saturday night? We need your calls in by Saturday night. Please keep the call to a maximum of two minutes. And bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to take part. I think a Xi'an has entered the room, hasn't it, Jacqueline? Yeah, has entered the room. It's, yeah. it's also a daughter who's come back. She's been at work uni for the last four weeks, but she's back on work placement as of tomorrow morning. So she comes home on a Saturday, Sunday night. So she's Welcome just back. arrived. So, <laughs> yes, there they've gone now. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it's time for Stephen's Corner now. Let's go and have a listen to Stephen's story of the bull, part three. <laughs> Here is an illustrated summary of the news. Here's the third and final two-minute history of the bull. Following the collapse of Sid and Kathy's marriage, Jolene moved in to run the bull with Sid. In order to buy out Kathy's share of the business, Sid had to let Caroline, who had inherited Guy Pemberton's stake, increase her ownership to 51%. Once again, the new team started a new venture. In this case, the opening of the bull upstairs in November 2000, which offered an additional bar and a space for bands to perform. One of the bands that performed there was Dross, featuring Fallon Rogers, Ed Grundy and Jazza McCreary. Jazza had a serious drug problem at the time, and after their debut gig in May 2002, he was found unconscious in the gents, having taken something illegal. This was nearly the end for the bull upstairs, closed by Sid for fear of losing their licence. But Jodine eventually persuaded him to reopen, and the venue became one of the longer-lasting innovations at the Bull. In 2004, the Bull won the prestigious title of South Borthamshire Pub of the Year, a mere four years after their closest rival, the Cat and Fiddle, had closed down. 
Sid's attempt to win the even more prestigious Borsetshire Pub of the Year in 2005 was unsuccessful, perhaps in part because Frida Fry did not take to Sid's new and improved menu. In 2006, Caroline sold her majority stake to Lillian to raise the money with which she and Oliver bought Grey Gables. Sid died in 2010, leaving most of his stake in the bull to Jolene, but a small number of shares to his and Kathy's son, Jamie. In 2011, Jolene launched another innovation, Farmhouse Breakfast at the Bull, with the help of Kenton. These featured Neil Carter's eggs and Tom Archer sausages. But a shadow was hanging over the bull. Depressed after Sid's death, Jolene was contemplating selling up, and Matt Crawford had decided that Amside needed a new venture and that closing the bull and converting it into flats would be the answer. In the end, though, and in part as a result of Kenton's support for her, Jolene changed her mind about selling and rediscovered her enthusiasm for running the pub. Then, in 2020, Lillian and Jolene decided that the bull needed a rebrand and came up with a plan to rename it the Bee at Ambridge. Linda was horrified and protested by chaining herself to the pub sign, or at least claiming to have done so. But in the end, sanity prevailed, and the bull remains the bull. Great. Thanks for that, Stephen. That's really filled us in on all those details, hasn't it? Stephen's going to be there next week as well, you know. He is. You know how he was uh, stitching on board a flight to JFK? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I, half of me almost wanted him to be manhandled by a burly security guard at JFK. <laughs> and he had to <laughs> explain why he had a needle in his possession. What on earth was he embroidering? There's a chance with all the North America Ambridge listeners that the burly security guard may well have been Archer's listener. You never know. That was a very good segue into our next call from Witherspoon in New York City. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Jacqueline, Karen, all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Today we celebrated the conclusion of Tartan Week, a North American celebration of Scottish heritage, by attending a very festive parade on Fifth Avenue. On Friday, the celebrating will continue with the New York Dumpty Dum Meetup in honor of the big gathering in Birmingham. We'll congregate at the Shakespeare at 24 East 39th Street at 5 p.m. If you're coming and haven't yet contacted me, please do so on Facebook or get an email message to Royfield and Jacqueline. Now, on to the very interesting week that was. First off, a brief mention of Tom and his feeble attempts at mansplaining to his wife and mother. Pretty pitiful. Does he have much respect for women? That brings us to George and his antisocial personality disorder. Interesting, you have to be 18 to be diagnosed with it. And guess what age George just turned? I do have a question about Oliver and him. George said he would repair the bench in the midst of an out-and-out lie to Oliver's face about his supposed non-involvement in the break-in. How would Oliver have allowed George to repair the bench when he heard the truth about George's lies? Many have postulated that Oliver is on to George, and I hope that's the case, but I'm not sure. Finally, Brad. Until the last minute of Friday's episode, I was going to therapeutically intervene and repeat what my mother would say to me. If your friends were going to jump off a cliff, would you do it? My mother taught me not to be a follower. Brad seems to be both repulsed by George's narcissism, impulsivity, and poor judgment, but also attracted to his masculine bravado and ease, as Brad is not confident at all. But Brad finally saw the light. But what about Brad's relationship with Oliver and Oliver's support of Brad's education? 
Let's hope for the best. Talk to you soon. Ha-ha. Are you a follower, Quinton? Canter? Q? I don't even know what to call you. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's so many, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, there, he's asked all those versions of your name. Yes. <laughs> follower. I, am I a follower? Sometimes, if I believe in who's leading me, yes. I think that's, that's, that's the essential thing. I never instantly say yes. I like to consider before making a decision yeah. like that. Thank goodness you instantly said yes this afternoon. Otherwise, I'd be waffling by myself here, wouldn't I? Yes, I followed then, didn't I? That was a bit, yeah, a bit of following. Good bit of following. Uh, so I, let's, I, let's I, go to what Witherspoon had to, to say then. So he agrees with us about bloody Tom. Mansplaining to Natasha. And his mother. <laughs> that's his default, isn't it? I'm yeah, trying to remember... Is. What bit he was mansplaining, but that's his... Oh, God, it's just uh, he's everything. Always... It's all about Helen. It's jump... that was... Is that what we've already said, going from zero yes. to a hundred at uh, in two and a half seconds? That squeak in his voice, going rushing to his mother and complaining and mm. all that. Od- odious little man. Yes, but also the sort of, why wasn't I told? Why wasn't I told? Yeah, why? So much of that in the arches, isn't there? <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, yes, it's... <laughs> he's incredible. Incredibly annoying, isn't he, Tom? Yeah, we've got Oliver. We've already talked a bit about Oliver and how he is, and we've t- already talked about George. So let's go to the Brad bit of this. Mm. Now, I think Brad could be a very good character to come and is de- definitely a foil for George's nastiness. He is, but the problem is at the moment, of course, George is dominating, isn't he? Yeah. And there are little flashes when Brad has the upper hand when some brains are needed rather than brawn. And at mm. last, Brad is using the brain to reject the brawn. I hope he, yeah. his declaration, that's it, I'm just doing my own thing now, he means it. I hope he means it as well, yeah. I have my doubts because he is so impressionable, isn't he? I think he needs a real good kick out the bum by Tracy and Chelsea, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does. I think Chelsea will be the one who will get to him and tell him, look, for God's sake, just... Stop mm. it with Brad, oh, with yeah. George, sorry. Yeah. It's going to be a hard one, though, for him because he is a bit younger and he's a less dominant character than George. So he's just got to be very careful. But maybe he'll be feeling so hurt by Oliver's reaction to him. That will be the key to him saying, oh, God, I've just got to stay clear of that twat. Yeah, I slightly lost the the order of things because obviously... Oliver knows that George has admitted that they broke the bench and broke in, doesn't he? He knows they've both admitted that. Yeah. Yeah. Why does he then seem to swallow everything George says about Brad? That I don't follow. Yeah, I know. I don't. I agree. And I'm. I am slightly suspicious that he's pretending to swallow it. To. I hope he is. I hope so too. I think that's me and my. Hope over experience voice saying that. But to what end is he pretending to swallow it if he is pretending? Yeah, I don't know. And I can't work out what of that. It's far too complicated. Yeah. Let's see what this next week brings, eh? <laughs> well, the scriptwriter should be listening to this and then be guided by our thoughts. Yes. I think I think what's Witherspoon said that he says that George suffers from antisocial personality disorder. I wonder yeah. if there's if it's stronger than that, whether he's some sort of sociopath, really. Anyway, I would put him in the sociopath category. <laughs> yes. And then who am I? What do I know? <laughs> We're telling Witherspoon some stuff here, aren't we? 
Yeah, or tell Witherspoon. Yeah, uh, Witherspoon. I think it's very. I love hearing having uh, Witherspoon's calls and just to remind people who are listening to this podcast from New York City, and you want to go and meet up on Friday, and we're going to try and do a Friday evening video link with Roy Fields and I on the Friday evening. Please get in touch with me or via the Facebook page with Witherspoon, and I'll pass on the messages to you from you to him and try and get a link up there so you can be go and eat with other dumpty dummers in New York. New York. New York. New York, New York. Claire from Clapham, who's not in Clapham. Hi, dumpty dum. It's Claire from Clapham here, although I'm not in Clapham, I'm in Swindon today, coming to you from a different location. So looking forward to next weekend. I can hardly wait. It's just going to be lovely to see everyone. In terms of this week's archers, I feel like we're being set up for someone to try and shoot someone with the gun that Pat, we now know that Pat has. Now, who's going to get shot, by whom, under what circumstances and what comes of it? Who knows? If not, it's a heck of a red herring to be throwing out there. I wait and see. I have no plot predictions at this point, although it wouldn't hurt to clip George around the edge of the leg or something just to put him in his place uh, because he's been really awful. But it's made me wonder about... I felt like Oliver was especially harsh this week. He's obviously been really badly hurt, but then he's always been like forgiving before, and God only knows he's let the Grundies get away with a heck of a lot. Is that why George gets away with stuff? I don't know. Well, I know we all hope that he's on to George, and he wasn't exactly wrong in what he said to Brad, but I think he was particularly harsh, uh, especially given his historic relationship with Tracy, where they've got on really well, and he thinks a lot of her. He must have known that it would hurt. But anyway, who knows? I guess it goes to show that in a time when they're all still squabbling over the immediate impact of Jenny's death, he's still absolutely feeling the impact of Caroline's death, and that's years ago. I wonder if Oliver will be nice again and what that might mean. And please don't let him get pulled the wool over his eyes by George. I think that would do George even more un... What's the word? Misplaced confidence. Anyway, see you all soon, and uh, have a good week. Bye. Aha, so, yeah, that's setting up to shoot someone. Who would be on your top to be shot for this? <laughs> Apart from there George. There George many, or Tony. There wouldn't be many left. <laughs> <laughs> be, that's mean. It'll be carnage on the high street. Who would I shoot? <laughs> Who would you not want to be shot then? Oh, Brian. Brian. Brian must survive because I can't survive without Brian. There you are. Oh. Yeah, Brian would live. I'd like to give a flesh wound to Adam because he is so boring, but I wouldn't want to see his demise because I need him to moan about. And I think Tom would probably be in the firing line. Yeah, he'd be there. Definitely. Lee. Actually, Lee. Lee. I can't bear Lee. Lee. Yeah. Cannot bet. No, uh, that is so wrong. He's no, so sweet. He's, he's so innocent. He's so little boyish. Exactly. <laughs> I got, that's God. That's exactly it. He's man boy. And he's I felt sorry. He's a man for, boy, but I felt sorry that he was ambushed by Pat and Tony like he was because he's put in an impossible yeah. position. So Absolutely. I did, I did feel for him, but he didn't. He caved very quickly, didn't he? He did, but then, but he's a funny thing about he's just he acted like a teenage boy with them anyway. About the do you load the dishwasher in a certain way or whatever, and yeah, all that yeah. kind of crap. It's just well, going to be nice, isn't it? And helpful, yeah. To, see, I'm persuading you, you can't bear Lee, so I'm, I'm, no, I do. I, I, 
I don't dislike Lee. I know. I don't dislike Lee. I went for a long time. I didn't like Brian because I couldn't bear the philandering side of him and the hurt he caused. But over the last 10, 15 years, he's regrown on me because he's become a kind of mature and non-philandering person. He's such a multi-layered character. That's what I like about him. He's really well written for, superbly acted as well. And he's... Yeah. It brings a richness to the whole narrative, I think, Brian. It's, it's rarely a dull scene with Brian, and there are not many characters yeah. you could say I, about that. No, that's true. I think that what you were saying about Adam, and I think oh, my brain's gone. His partner, oh, Ian. Irish, Ian Uncas, brain. <laughs> I think Ian and Ian, Ian and uh, Adam are a good foil for each other. In that, yes, one is a bit up and downy, and he was obviously very concerned this week, wasn't he, about Alexander's future, Xander's future, mm. and all the rest of it. So that was all quite interesting to see them. Whereas, but I couldn't stand that scene. That was my worst scene of the week this week with the, oh, the three men discussing yeah. what, yeah, that bitching Bick, and bickering, bickering and deciding, yeah. deciding what was good for Alice. Bellarine, where the hell did that come from? That's out of left field. So I just thought it was... I've never never been convinced by Adam and Ian's relationship. It just doesn't ring true to me at all. And I've often moaned about it. I just feel it's transactional. All their conversations don't seem to have any Mm -hmm. real depth or authenticity. And Ian is so simpering towards him. He just says, what did he want, Adam? What did he want? Yeah. No, I don't know. So who would be in your... All right, we've got the message right. Yeah, who'd been, who, who been your first? Pip. Pip. Oh, yes, Pip. Helen. Yeah. I don't mind if Helen gets shot. Actually, <laughs> I, I feel a bit mean because she's obviously been through a horrible thing and I was very sympathetic with her with the Rob thing and everything, but it doesn't change the fact that she was a nasty person through and through right from the start. Yeah. She was horrible before Rob. I hated her at one point and then I felt sympathy and felt guilty for disliking her. And this last week is actually... The way she spoke to people, the way she spoke to Natasha, when she thought she was having, is she coping, is she coping? She's just a nasty, manipulative woman. And I hated the way she's dealt with Susan's demand for recompense. Oh, for the window. Uh, for yeah. the extra work. Yeah, yeah. Man, I just think it's all wrong. But she, so, she doesn't know how to handle people. No. Surely you've got to consult your staff before you just suddenly build a new window. But the whole, but that's Bridge Farm, isn't it? They have no empathy with anybody else. Pat and Tony congratulated themselves a few months ago on the fact that their children were rounded characters. No thanks to them if they were, and I don't find them rounded at all. So (laughs) (laughs) So. I've got a soft spot for Tony. He's in my dull but decent band. I do, Tony. Yeah. We're just going back to Claire. He's full of uh, soup. Yeah. Yeah. He's been completely, he's just soggy with Sue. And she said about, she thought he, Oliver was too harsh on Brad, so too soft on the Grundys. He was just desperately disappointed that it had taken him a week to come and see him, wasn't it? Yeah. But the guy, the child is at school anyway. And yeah. so Oliver's just sitting around waiting. So that, that kind of irritated me too. I think Claire saying that she felt that Oliver was harsh, but. Oliver and Jim, in the last few weeks, their voices, for me, have changed. They both sound slightly more wobbly. They feel like they've had a, a bit of an age thing. 
Do you know what I mean? They've mm. suddenly become older. So, well, I think that's the fact that he feels wobbly. He's wobbly about all this, the bench yeah. business and everything. Yeah, talking to voices, Justin, give that man a lozenge, for goodness sake. Yeah, yes, listen to Andy, clearing your throat for him. <laughs> and the other thing that really riled people this week was, and we understand why the bench means so much to Oliver, but lots of people said, why on earth was it left on a building site? If it's that precious yeah. to you, put it somewhere safe. Uh, to me, to be honest, that hadn't occurred to me, but it does that as a fair point. As well. It is a fair I, point, yeah. I think Claire Oliver will be nice again, and I think he'll see Brad for the nice lad he is, but he's yeah. going to make him I'm hoping so, uh, too. The squirm for a bit. And I think we've got one last call now, and that is from our David in Wales, Carmarthenshire. Been out Royfield, Jacqueline, and Dumpty Demers everywhere. BC Maeto is David from Carmarthenshire. I'm calling in this week just to make the point that there really is no fool like an old fool, and Oliver has proven that handsomely in this week's storyline. I find it a little bit difficult to believe that he wouldn't see through the true character of George versus Brad. I know he's been helping them both, but I think it's obvious to anybody that Brad and George are two very different kettles of fish. It would also be interesting to hear the reaction from Clary and Eddie and Emma They've all benefited from Oliver's largesse over the years, and I can imagine how ashamed they would be. I also think that by now, Tracy would also have got to the bottom of it and worked out that George is really the ringleader, however stupid Brad was in going along with it. Yeah, interesting week. I'm not going to mention the big storyline of the week, only to say that looking at Helen and Natasha's sleuthing skills, Cagney and Lacey, they ain't. But yes... All in all, a good week. Jochen Bauer, Willem Troll. Love a bit of Welsh voice there, a bit of Welsh language. So, uh, Oliver, uh, nothing like an old fool. What we've been saying throughout the podcast, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, David's right. I refuse to believe that Oliver can't see the true characters. And I'll be extremely perturbed if he doesn't, because I think he's got more nous than that. Interesting, he brought in references to Clarie, Eddie, and Emma as well, and get what their take will be and they are owe a huge amount don't they to to Oliver so I think they do they're missing as well aren't they some there's some missing voices in all this and I yeah. think Tracy was un, unrealistically mute really in the police station because she sussed exactly what was going on didn't she and yet she sat in her hands again yeah. that didn't ring true to me and I thought yeah. when he Harrison called a tea break he did that deliberately to let Tracy say to Brad. Lay, lay what, Brad. Yeah. What are you playing at? Bloody well tell the truth. Yeah. They're all interesting. Be interesting to see how this story rolls out. Yeah, and there are inconsistencies. Do you, do you think Pat would shoot Rob? Yeah. You do? Do. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think she would. She sounded very, very determined. Did you? Do you not think so? Do you think she was just saying it because it did? Uh, to me, to because be fair, she was showing that. how depth. Yes, I think it did ring true, and the fact that she's already shooting pigeons suggests she's getting her eye in. <laughs> so I think if she was provoked, a she would. Yeah, I think if she was yeah. provoked, she would. Um, yeah, I agree. More than Tony. Tony, I wouldn't see Tony doing it. But I think, yeah, I think she would as well. Right now. 
So that's lovely. All those lovely caller inners, thank you very much. And we go from our caller inners to our emailer inners. Now we've had one message this week and it's a long one. So Kanta and I are going to share reading it. It's from Louis T and entitled George. Check in on your sons. Dear Dumpty Dum, in recent weeks I found myself feeling quite triggered by George's character arc on the show and wanted to make a couple of points related to the wider topic. To start, I wanted to say how moved I was to hear Lily's call last week regarding toxic masculinity in young men, insult behaviour and the baffling popularity of Andrew Tate. Respect also goes out to Claire from Clapham for her points made on this subject too. As per the title of my email, I would like to briefly contribute to the debate. Based on my own personal experience as a parent of a now 16-year-old boy, I come with a warning of how quickly the mindset, this mindset can envelope a teenager. My son had always been quite shy, but last year we noticed he had become more withdrawn, spending lots more time in his room, which we initially took to be a normal teenage behaviour. Unbeknownst to us, he has started to watch self-help videos online, which can only be described as extremely misogynistic. One was titled something along the lines of Girls Only Want Boys Who Are Better Than Them. Thankfully, I've already started to blot it out. It was particularly unpleasant, and after a quite spectacular family argument, he agreed to refrain from watching them, which is something that took a fair amount of parental supervision, and our eyes were firmly open to a very unpleasant side of the internet. It transpired that after becoming interested in people like Andrew Tate via others discussing him on gaming message boards, he had begun to consume every toxic male video the algorithm sent his way. Essentially, he was radicalised. Not all of these content creators are overt in what they do. Many come in the wolf's clothing of self-help gurus, lifestyle coaches and pick-up artists. I'm pleased to say that almost a year later we have our lovely, albeit teenage boy, back. His studies are going well and he has a lovely girlfriend. None of which would have happened had he took the advice of the shamefully grown men he was watching, following and emulating online. While I appreciate the listenership of Dumpty Dum is not made up of teenage boys, I'm sure many of you are parents, aunts and uncles to them. Check in on them, check what they're watching and push back on it if necessary. The creators of this content won't stop because it makes them money, so it's up to us to call them out publicly. Thanks for all you do and for giving this pertinent problem the attention it's definitely due. Sorry it was a long one, but I feel this is important. Best wishes for the meetup and hope this is something that comes up for discussion. Louis T. P.S. Please don't do it, George. Very interesting, that, isn't it? I don't have any teenage boys in my life at all, but it's not my experience. Yeah. And when our boys were young, they would, it was, there was nothing like it. There was no internet. <laughs> oh, really? There was when we had our teenagers, but. Thankfully, it wasn't as bad as it is now in terms of that sort of content, and mm. it wasn't an issue. But no, it's pernicious, it's nasty, and uh, Lily's call last week prompted quite a reaction, actually, Yeah, because she put it in such a good way. She's the teacher, I think, and so she made it... Yeah. She clarified the whole issue very well, I thought, and made us sit up and think. She did, yeah. And I think yeah. she's on to... Well, she got, definitely got us melting. Yeah, and I think she's onto something. I think the script writers have probably, and the script editors have thought, yeah, this is a real live issue. 
social yeah. at the moment. And yeah, they're wanting to bring on younger characters. And they really have brought them on, haven't they, this year? And they are now mm. bedding down some of them. And a storyline like that would really bed in George, wouldn't it? And you would, all, indeed. All the makings. All the makings. But delighted, thank Louis. Thank you for that, Louis. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Thank, delighted your son is clear of all this. Yes. Yeah, I hope so. And maybe he can also spot it, what's happening with his friends. Some of his friends, they're very good, aren't they, at teenagers at communication these days. I think that they are better than teenagers were maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So. I think they've got the confidence to call these things out. I do, actually. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. They will not tolerate it. So peer pressure, you hope, will win out. I thought, yes. Thank you for that, anyway. Thank you, Louis. Now, let's hear what our social media gurus have been talking about on the Dum De Dum Facebook page with our wonderful Sandra to tell us what's been going on. Hello, this is Sandra with a selection from the Facebook group. It was a busy week in the group and imagination seemed to have been in overdrive. The biggest topic of the week was, of course, the return of the Rob. Here is David Gregg's club prediction. Rob turns up and gets manipulative. Someone shoots him dead or runs him over. Harrison can't solve it. It's the bunting all over again. This was a popular post. Marie Bray liked it and wanted to see Rob floating dead in Joy's hot tub. There were a few other suggestions in the thread. I'm with Fiona Caspers. Her prediction is that while the adult inhabitants of Bridge Farm are at each other's throats, Rob bids farewell to his mother and returns to the States. Marie Bray began another thread with a different plot prediction. Ursula's will states that Jack, a.k.a. Gideon, is now the only legal heir of the Hampshire estate. This was another popular post. Louise Lawton imagined some conditions where Jack would only inherit if he lived with his father. I did point out that Rob's father was still alive so there may not be anything to bequeath. Claire Hinckley gave the award for stupidly trusting duo to Helen and Natasha. Just because someone tells you they're not in touch with someone doesn't make it true. K.P. Cunningham believes that Helen is trusting of Jess after she saved her at the 11th hour at the trial. There was also some discussion about whether Harrison should have been informed. Like me, Claire Campbell got annoyed at Natasha, saying she was going to keep quiet, and then did a lot of the talking. Susan de la Mer laughed when Natasha said that she wouldn't speak. Jane Bentham thought that Natasha's tone was a bit aggressive. In another thread, Witherspoon urged us not to drag Jess into a conspiracy with Rob. She's almost as frightened of him as Helen is. On to George and Brad. Earlier in the week, Helen Blackburn hoped that Brad had the courage to do the right thing. George is truly vile, she said. Hopefully, he will get locked up soon. On the other hand, Rob Williams commented that a year inside didn't do Freddie any harm. Brad shouldn't worry. George and Tom are annoying Stephanie Leerton so much that she might have to take a break. She can't believe that Oliver is being taken in by George. Or is it a double bluff? 
Susan Delamere couldn't believe that Oliver fell for George's lies. But he doesn't know him as well as we do. Most listeners seem to be Team Brad. That's that from me for this week. Bye. Thank you to everyone who's posted their thoughts on Dum Dee Dum Facebook page. And now it's time to welcome the four new members to that group. Yes, a very warm Dum Dee Dum welcome to Nikki Valor, Victoria Allison, Claire Campbell, and Sarah Cossey. Welcome all. Now, Jacqueline, did we receive any reviews this week? No, we didn't, but I'm sure we'll get dozens of positive reviews after this once-in-a-lifetime show. (laughs) We are on Twitter. (laughs) You can find us at Dumpty Dum, where you can join in the tweet-along fun by using hashtag The Archers with a capital T and capital A, which helps the visually impaired to join in the fun. And I can be found on Twitter as Jberto Sanguen. I know you're on. T- you're a Twitterer, aren't you, Quinton? I am. Yes, I'm a Twitterholic, really, in terms of the tweet along. Yes, so you can find me in my Twitter twaddle at Thirteen Minute Man. That's one three minute man. Anyway, talking of Twitter, let's see what Theo, our purple pumpkin, has found to entertain us on Twitter this week with her tweet of the week. Hello, Jacqueline, Cara, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of tweets of the week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week, the hashtag The Archers on Twitter has been taking sides for and against Oliver, Jim, Helen and Alice, or just against George and Justin. One thread I very much enjoyed was started by Little Kim at Little Kim, predicting who Pat might accidentally shoot while aiming for Rob. This led not only to a list of nominees for characters we wouldn't miss, but also to a spreadsheet from Just Ian at Colonel27, who wanted to check out the ages of all the characters who might soon depart by more natural means. Some people have dared to suggest that a spreadsheet about the archers is a sad, sad thing, but we know better, don't we? And so for the last time before our meet-up, here are my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Patricia at Olympians. Where there's a will, there's four weeks of storylines on the archers. In silver, it's just Ian at Kernow27, who had a very good week, but my pick was this one. This is Ambridge Coppering at its very best. Bad cop, good cop and stupid cop all rolled into one. And the gold medal goes to Michael Wheelock at Pope Vaderai. It's Caroline's bench. Brian and I used to sit on it and remember the happy times we each enjoyed on top of her. Well, that's it for this week. See you all on Twitter and in person in Birmingham next week. Thank you for that, Theo. And congratulations to at Olympians, Kerno27 and Pope Vaderai for their gongs. Now, don't forget, we're on Instagram. At Dumpty Dum, which is run by the very lovely Katie. So do follow us there. You can find me. I'm simply Jacqueline Berto. What about you, Q? Are you an Instagrammer? A bit. An occasional grammar. I can be found at Quentin Rayner, if you can be bothered to see what I post. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Now, we had another call that came in last week, and you and Philip delayed it because it's about Royfield, but 
I want to play it because then we can discuss him. Not behind his back, he's going to edit this. Hello, Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers all over the world. It's Andrea from beautiful central Brittany. I think Royfield felt a little left out when I called in last time and praised Jacqueline for all her hard work. So this time I'd like to thank Royfield. Now I'll get to the archers eventually, so bear with me. Now it urges us to listen to other Royfield Brown productions. So I have been, because I'm a good girl like that. Commonwealth Voices told me about things I'd never even thought about, but I wish there were more programmes. I'm beginning to find out how Jamaica conquered the world, which was definitely through Scar, and I've started getting my bearings in that corner. But what really caught my eye was the things that made England, thanks to a prominent mention in the blurb of HP Source. Growing up in the black country in the 70s and 80s, HP was a staple. Not just for a bacon sandwich, HP goes with absolutely anything. Even a delicious Virgin Mary if you don't have any other spices to hand. And why would you need any other spices if you've got HP sauce? I think we had a bottle of ketchup in the cupboard, and I think it was the same bottle that was there for many years. But yeah, you can't beat HP sauce. But coming on to the archers, on the things that made England, you had a question of the week. So perhaps you could have a weekly question on Facebook with multiple choice answers for us all to vote on. But it's the People's Podcast date, so maybe they can vote on it and Royfield judge all the hard work so you get the final say, do ya? That's all for now. See you later, me babs. Ta-ra a bit. Andrea went all black country there, didn't she? She did! I'll expect her to speak to me like that when I meet her in the supermarket this week. <laughs> She's Nick Sarah's payoff. Ta-ra a bit. Oh, yeah, she has indeed. <laughs> do you listen to any other Royfield Brown productions? Not if I can help it, Jacqueline, no. One Royfield oh, was enough. <laughs> No, not by choice, no. I haven't, actually, to, to my shame. I haven't. I'm, Matt I, Corner's brilliant. I suspect okay. Matt Corner I'd enjoy because it's also with Claire from Clapham, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And also, the things that made England, there's some, been some funny debates on there. It's worth listening to. The Scar one is actually very brilliant. It was an early one. But there's been a couple of others. We've... I'm with Andrea about HB Sauce, though. Yeah, me too. That's Britain in a bottle, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Love my HP sauce. It's one of the things on my buy in England shopping list. Oh, is it? What else do you bring back into Um, the European Union? Oh, well, we're not allowed to bring cheese products anymore, which is a disappointment to me because it's very hard to find halloumi here and I like a bit of halloumi grilled, so halloumi club, so you can't... Sometimes you find it, but it's a surprise if you do. I'm not allowed to bring that back anymore. Funnily enough, (laughs) tea bags, Yorkshire tea. Is there any finer than Yorkshire tea? I am a, I am a Yorkshire tea drinker. You'll be delighted to know. Is Me I, too. I've started imbibing Yorkshire tea because I worked for five years in North Yorkshire at BBC yeah. Radio York. And once you, once you have supped the Yorkshire tea, you do not move off. You never turn back. Somebody gave me, I did some, helped a lady out here and she bought me six boxes of Tetley's English breakfast tea, which is the kind of French apology for English tea. Oh my goodness, I couldn't stand, can't stand it. I opened one of them, and I don't know what to do with the others because it feels like such a waste to throw it away. So anybody who's in Brittany and likes Tetley's tea, please let me know. I shall deliver, drop them off at your door. <laughs> it is extraordinary when you so, go abroad. When you go abroad and you make a cup of tea with a tea bag abroad, and it just doesn't taste like tea. It doesn't. Why not? I mean, there's no mystery to it. You put a tea bag in, you put hot water on, you put some milk in. But it doesn't taste like proper tea. Ever abroad. I never understand that. 
but the flex. no it doesn't taste there you'd it would taste like proper tea if you came to my house i made you a cup of tea so there you go even with That's french hard. even with french water would it taste okay my water is brilliant, thank you. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether it needs to have grimy British water that tastes like Yorkshire tea. <laughs> no, don't worry. We've got it down to a fine art here. <laughs> so it just remains to say thank you as ever to all our contributors and to our social media supremos. This is a serious bit here. Following on for some recent private and public posts on Twitter and Facebook. Can we please ask people to remember that Dum De Dum is a Royfield Brown production, but behind the great man is a team of hard-working volunteers who make their contributions out of a love for the archers and our Dum De Dum community. So it's the same as our policy not to criticise the actors, just the character they portray. Please don't criticise individuals for their contributions, especially via anonymous pseudonyms. Well said. Absolutely said, yeah. It's a nice part of the internet, isn't it? Dumpty Dum Land, so let's keep it that way. Anyway, we've got some thanks as well, haven't we, Jacqueline? We must, uh, we, uh, as ever, thank Shambridge for her wonderful voices and give a mention to our podcasting godmother, Lucy V. Freeman. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Mr. Rayner. I shall look forward to meeting you next week. And I'm sorry if we're cheesing everybody off who's not going to be in Birmingham by talking about Birmingham so much, but a lot of us are overexcited. We are. Uh, <laughs> it's their fault for not coming, Jacqueline. Ah, yeah, but there's lots of reasons why people can't. Oh, of course, come. yes. But we should, don't worry, we shall... But I'm shall very deluge. cross with you now. We shall deluge social media with lots of photographs, won't we? Indeed. In fact, that's what I'm hoping. Nobody will really listen to my talk because they'll be too busy twittering. Quinton, I'm very sorry that you won't hear my talk. I'm sorry too. I'm sure it'll be available. Honestly, British ra- <laughs> British Rail, really? Or is it just that you can't get out of bed? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd booked my train and hotel before the itinerary came out, and then suddenly, then all the speakers were announced. But yeah. I will be there oh, in spirit, well. and I'm sure everybody will be talking about it in the best possible way, but Jacqueline... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We shall see. But I take, <laughs> I take my hat off to you for doing it and opening, opening the event. Yeah, the opening of the event wasn't really my choice. That was Cara's and the organisers, but it's relevant for the fact that crafting is a big part of academic archers, and I'm a bit of a crafty one. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Mr. Rayner, and yes. I'll see you next week. It's been fun. Yes. Cheers. Bye. It's been great fun. Thank you so much for stepping in at the very last minute. My pleasure. No, it's been fun, and I look forward to seeing you all and you, Jacqueline, in Birmingham. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.